0: Shall we pray? Father in heaven, tonight we pray that the cross will be uplifted, not only in song in, in this message, but in our hearts. Speak to us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We receive a lot of calls and letters here at 3ABN. I'm amazed at how many telephone call came through today, and uh, June Elliott was calling, and she told me an experience about her mother. I won't tell the whole experience, but her mother is Millie Gannetta. And uh, Millie was uh, a devout Catholic, but she began to watch 3ABN. She watched all the different messages. But when Dwight Nelson was preaching on a subject that was very dear to her heart, she stood up in the middle of the sermon on the television in front of the TV and told her daughter, I'm going to be baptized. She made a decision. The subject, one you would not think would touch the heart. It was purgatory. But it was something for which she had struggled And God gave Dwight the wisdom, the message, to open up from God's word that there was no purgatory. And it calmed her heart and she made her decision. Tonight, as Dwight speaks near the cross, the 11th commandment.
1: Good evening, three ABN family in Thompsonville. What an honor to be here in this beautiful part of God's country. I drove. I drove down this afternoon. It's about a six-hour drive. I have forgotten how flat Illinois is. (laughs) It's just. (laughs) But you know what? It was. It's just the first buddings of spring. I love your theme, showers of blessings. Just the first buddings of spring, and you can see these, just these manicured rows of fresh green sprouts. I'm thinking maybe corn, would that be dominantly corn? Yeah. Yeah. Coming up, getting ready for the harvest. And I thought to myself, God, this is what you need to see when you look down to this planet. The seed has been planted, the sprouts are coming up, and we're, we're counting down to the harvest. So it's an honor tonight to be a part of a ministry that is focused on preparing this planet for the harvest. Have you come in from all over? Is that kind of the thinking that happens here? All over, really? All over, all over? Really? Wow. Nice to have you. Thank you for coming. And I want to thank Yvonne Lewis that was absolutely powerful the cross I scribbled it down the cross said it all we're gonna get into the cross together you and I but not before I thank my friend Jim Gilley for his kind invitation to come and Camille I see you sitting over there Jim and I go way back he helped raise Over $4 million at the Pioneer Memorial Church to put on those... If you've been to the campus church, to put on those wings. So we got to know each other real well. And then he was uh, helping... He was actually overseeing the Faith for Today ministry. And I had had a privilege of having a part with that for a few years. And then I saw Danny Shelton behind the scenes here this evening just a few moments ago. Danny and I go way back. You know what? i got to quit hanging around with guys that go way back. That's the problem. (laughs) I'm hanging around with the wrong ones. They're all going way back. (laughs) CA, that includes you. (laughs) So it's an honor to be here with the 3ABN team. Been to this place a few times. And how God has used this dream planted years ago Raised up by the Holy Spirit for such a time as this. We are living on the edge of eternity. You know that. I believe. I'm not going to preach on the second coming in this series, but I believe Jesus is coming soon. I believe we are on the edge. In fact, uh, two weeks ago, maybe three, my friend Thruster, Pastor Thruster, he's Icelandic, and he pastors the the. South Bend First Seventh-day Adventist Church. He stopped by the office, popped down on a chair in my office there at the Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University, and he said, Dwight, oh, we, we, we just fell into conversation. We were talking about an emphasis we've been having at, at Andrews and Pioneer over these last four weeks And coincidentally, our theme song at the end of every one of this, this little three-part miniseries, series every, every installment, our theme song has been Showers of Blessings. We're sensing, and I told uh, Thruster the story, and I'm not going to tell you tonight. I really debated about bringing that series, but I think we need to get back to basics. There'll be a time for the other, and you can go to our website, and it's there. But uh, so I was telling Thruster, we're, we're claiming Isaiah 43:19. I thought this verse was all through the Bible. I thought you could find these words everywhere. You can't. It's only in Isaiah forty-three nineteen. Are you bringing your Bibles to these little evening studies? You will. Good. Uh, Isaiah forty-three nineteen, and I'll open my Bible when I get into my teaching in, in just a moment. But God speaking to Israel, He says, "Behold, I will do a new thing. I'll do a new thing." And we've been sensing in our hearts at Andrews University in and the Pioneer Memorial Church that we desperately need God to do a new thing in our midst. Now, you're not sure what that new thing is until you, 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 you read the verses right after verse 19, and God keeps talking about water. He talks about water in the desert and rivers in the wilderness. Four times He mentions water. As, as soon as He says, I'll do a new thing, he, he talks about water. And if you go just a few verses down, there were no chapter divisions when Isaiah wrote that. You come to Isaiah 44, verse 3, where God says... Now, listen to this promise. Speaking of showers of blessings, God says, I will pour water on those who are thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing upon your offspring. We have 3,600 of the offspring of, of the church, our community of faith. 3,600 children of the church who go to Andrews University. We are burdened that God. Do a new thing in our midst for this generation just coming on board. Do you have any children in your family? Do you have any children in your heart tonight? Don't you want God to do a new thing in their lives? Aren't you, just, aren't you praying for God to pour out His Spirit and somehow catch that young mind, turn that pretty heart, just, just coach that heart to turn toward Him? You put your finger tomorrow morning when you get up early. You put your finger on Isaiah 44, verse 3. You say, God, I need you to do a new thing. You have promised to pour out your spirit upon our descendants and your blessing upon our offspring. Do a new thing in my life. Do a new thing in my family. Do a new thing in my church. So I'm telling Thruster all of this, and he says, Do I want to tell you something? This revival that you're you're essentially talking about, revival. Yeah, you're right. This revival that you're talking about, guess what? It'll never happen until the two prayers of Jesus come true." I said, what two prayers are you talking about? He said, I'm talking about the two prayers in the upper room. The second prayer is in John 17, where Jesus says, Father, that they may be one as we are one. Unity. Unity in your congregation back home. Unity in Thompsonville. Unity in the Pioneer Memorial Church. Unity in our community of faith. That that they may be one. The first prayer that he, that he prays in the upper room is our theme tonight. This little, this, little, this little mini-series at the 3ABN camp meeting, tonight, tomorrow night, Friday night, Sabbath morning, and then uh, Sabbath evening, this little mini-series is entitled Near the Cross. We're going to take the last 72, the last 24 hours and the first 24 hours of Jesus' life. The last 24 before He dies, the first 24 when He's a re- resurrected. We'll go to Thursday night. Then we'll go to Friday. We'll spend several sessions on Friday. Then we'll go to Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Something in that Passion Weekend that is essential. And that first prayer the thruster was talking about, we're gonna turn to it right now. You have your Bible? Ready to go? I want to pray with you, and then let's, let's, let's plunge into, into the teaching. Holy Father, we're here from all points on the compass. We've come to this little cornfield in southern Illinois You raised up, signals going from this place to the entire inhabited globe. We come tonight as a little worshiping community. We want to hear the voice of Jesus speak through Holy Scripture. If there's a prayer that needs to be answered yet in my heart and in our lives, holy dear God, make that prayer clear. And as we track with Jesus, as Yvonne just sang, the cross said it all. As we track with Jesus through Calvary, may the cross say exactly what we must hear at this critical moment in 2013. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When a man is dying, when he sits on death row, he's not into fluff. He's not into just just spinning a yarn or passing the time. When a man knows that he is about to die, he chooses his words extremely carefully. What you're about to read here in John 13 is a sentence Jesus strategically placed in His upper room dialogue with, as it turns out now, only 11 disciples. The 12th disciple has slipped out into the dark shadows of that Thursday night to do his nefarious deed. Judas is gone. Just the 11 are left with Jesus. And this is John chapter 13. I'm glad you got your Bible. We're gonna go back to the... Uh, we'll, we, we will go back to Thursday and Friday, Sunday, right here again and again. John chapter 13. I'm in the New King James Version. Any. Any uh, Bible you have is fine by me, as long as you have that Bible. You know, where, where I preach, I have to say, listen, pull out your phone, pull out your iPad, because that's what this generation—they they're, they're, they're have their Bible. Don't you? Don't you be criticizing them for not having the Bible? They have the Bible. They just look it up in a very different way, a little faster than you and I, because they just punch that in and they have it. This is John chapter thirteen. Jesus is speaking. You know these words. Hardly new to you. But I wonder if my friend Thruster is not right when he says, Dwight, unless this, unless this comes true, there will be no new thing. This revival that we have passionately been praying for, it will not come until these words come true. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus speaking. You have a red letter edition, bright red. Should be. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus speaking, A new commandment I give to whom? I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can't have unity without love. This is the foundation. I give you a new commandment. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. I give you a new commandment. We already had ten. Didn't we already have ten? Didn't the disciples already have ten? Yes, of course they did. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Does it replace the ten? Are you kidding? This commandment is a summation of all ten, is it not? I give you a new commandment that you love one another. By this the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's on the heart of this man who's about to die? What's on his heart? I used to think that that was just a little line along the way, just kind of make, make a, a gentle nod towards love, and then He gets on to the Holy Spirit, and He gets on to the fruit of the vine, and on and on. Until one time I, I sat down and read all, all of the Upper Room Discourse. So that would be Chapter 13, Chapter 14, Chapter 15, Chapter 16, then they go to the garden, and He prays the High Priestly Prayer in Chapter 17. And I was stunned to realize that love was not a passing fancy when He gives the 11th commandment a new commandment. It's not a passing fancy. In fact. I went through and circled every, every word that is love or a derivative of love, loving, and so on. I went through and circled every word, and in the New King James, all right, the New King James, the word love appears 33 times between John 13 and John 16. 33 times, 31 of those times because the, uh, chapter 13 opens with and He loved His disciples to the end. You remember that line. So 31 of those times, the word love is on the lips of the one who will be dead in less than 24 hours. This is not a passing fancy. This is not... Oh, before I forget, by the way, love each other. This is rooted in the heart of His last appeal before His execution. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Kind of interesting that he would call it new hardly feels like a new commandment. I mean, the disciples have grown up since they were knee-high to a grasshopper. They've grown up with that, haven't they? I mean, Leviticus chapter 19. Didn't God, didn't God thunder from Mount Sinai? You shall blank your neighbor as yourself. What did He say from Mount Sinai? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hardly a new commandment. It's the basics of, of, of Jewish upbringing, and yet Jesus looks into the, in the, in the flickering orange of that dancing torch. He looks into the eyes of these 11 who are left, and He says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. You know what's going to be new about this commandment? In less than 24 hours, they will see love defined in crimson colors as never before in human history. I flew uh, Sunday night to the North American Division for a committee that I'm on. So I'm on the ground. We're in this little plane, Delta Airlines, in Detroit, and I'm waiting to go to BWI. That's Baltimore, uh, uh, Washington International Airport. And the pilot comes over. You know how when they pull the plane, your heart just sinks when they pull the plane over to the side, and you're just getting ready to take off. So, something's gone wrong. And the word is that there's this massive thunderstorm over the nation's capital. So, they've shut down Dulles. They've shut down BWI. They've shut down um, a Reagan National. Ronald Reagan National Airport. You've heard of that airport, haven't you? Do you know that Ronald Reagan, the former President of the United States, once upon a time dipped into this upper room discourse and chose a verse with love in it and read it on national television. Some of you remember this. This was back in, uh, oh, I'm thinking maybe the, the um, winter of 1982. Were any of you alive back then, 82? <laughs> were you? Okay. I, can, I just need to get to know this audience. Okay, so you were. 1982. You remember the uh, Air Florida? Remember the Air Florida tragedy? You remember that uh, plane all all prepped and ready to take off to the southern climes of Florida? Um, It was was National Airport back then, wasn't it? National Airport, all ready to go. Got held up frigid January afternoon. Got held up on the tarmac. You remember the story? Got held up on the tarmac. Unbeknownst to the pilot, ice began to develop on the wings. It had been de-iced, but apparently too long stationary. Finally he's he's put in a line and ro- with a roar of those engines thunders down that thunders down that runway and just as he lifts up, you remember the tragedy, don't you? That ice meant there was not sufficient lift and the plane right into the Potomac River, right into the you, you remember the story, don't you? fell into that Potomac. The fuselage burst open, disgorging all the passengers. They're bobbing now. No time to put anything on. They're bobbing in the icy, frigid Potomac. And this is back in, what, 82, and so there aren't a whole lot of CNN uh, helicopters around, but I remember the news footage, don't you? Remember the... of all those helicopters hovering over that piece of broken fuselage. There are human survivors... The helicopter, the rescue helicopter comes out. You remember the story? And he drops that O-ring. He drops it down to a man, a bald-headed man. He says, all right, sir, you know what to do with this. Just hold on to it. They have paramedics now along the shore. Everybody's raced for this emergency. Hold on to the ring, and we'll just drag you across. I mean, everybody knows that's what you do. You hold on to the ring, and they'll pick you up and drag you across. The man gets the ring, instinctively begins to hold on and realizes there's, there's a flight attendant. just just a few yards from him, and he swims the, the ring over to her. You remember that? Drag... So they, they, they take... They get her to safety. They come back for the man. They drop the ring back to him. You remember the story. He finds another survivor. He hands the ring. I don't, I don't remember how many times that little, that little ritual took place, but one time when they came back again for the bald-headed man, he had slipped into that... Uh, that frigid death. President Reagan went on national television that night to intone the sacrifice of this stranger. Do you know which verse he quoted? Chapter 15. You have your Bible open here. Chapter 15. It's one of the love words in in the Upper Room Discord. This is chapter 15, verse 13. You can say it out loud with me. Let's just read it out loud together. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. The President of the United States, after whom now the airport is named, reads on national television, John 15, 13, the words of Christ. Nobody has greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. In less than 24 hours, the eleven. We'll see the truth of that one definition. There is no greater love than Calvary. Isn't that right? No greater love. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down her life. Lay down her life for her friends. That's what's new. They've heard this from kindergarten days. Love your neighbor. But now I give you a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, you love one another. By this, the whole world will know you are my people if you have love for one another." As I brooded over that 11th commandment, if we can call it that, as I brooded over these words here in John 13, verses 34 and 35, I have wondered to myself, you know what's new about this? I mean, the more you brood on it, the more it it hits you. You know what's new about this commandment? What's new about this commandment is what Jesus did not say. You think about it. Jesus could have looked into those upturned faces in that orange glow, flickering shadows. He could have looked into their faces and said, By this, the whole world will know you are my people if you remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Couldn't He have said that? Listen, I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, everybody in that room is a Sabbatarian. Everyone in that room is keeping the Sabbath that the pre-incarnate Christ gave to the human race. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Everyone in the room is a Sabbatarian. Please don't misunderstand me. I believe with all my heart in the Fourth Commandment. I believe that that Fourth Commandment will, will, will shine brighter and brighter as we move to the end of time. But you know why? Because it calls people back to the Creator. We live in a nation now that has gone absolutely bonkers in the opposite direction, Flowing out the Creator, denying there is a God. Oh, no. The Seventh-day Sabbath is a gift whose time has come. But I find it a fascinating because we're just talking here, uh, watching on 3ABN and you and me. I find it fascinating that Jesus didn't say, By this the whole world will know you are mine, you keep the Sabbath. I also find it interesting that he didn't say, By this the whole world will know you are my people, if you cling to the blessed hope that I'm coming soon. Now don't misunderstand me. Just a few breaths later, after giving the 11th commandment, Jesus will speak these words say them with me. Let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you here it comes now i will come again of course that is the blessed hope it burns bright in all of our hearts. But it's rather amazing to me that He didn't take either half of the name that I bear, Seventh-day Adventist, and say, By this the whole world will know you're mine. The Sabbath or the Second Coming. Ladies and gentlemen, the point is, you can go through all, uh, all the great teachings of Scripture. He didn't take a one of them. He says, By this the whole world will know you are my people. When you gather together and you drive into a town and you suddenly burst the population of that little, that little farm community and you do business in town, by this, everybody will know you are mine, the way you love each other. Isn't that something? My friend Thruster is say, sitting in my office three weeks ago, and he says, You know what, Dwight? We're not gonna get any revival. There's not gonna, God's not gonna do a new thing until we learn how to ask God to answer the prayer of Christ. At night before His execution. Wow. Verse 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are My disciples, if you have love for one another. Unmistakable, unequivocal, unconditional. By this all, red and yellow, black and white, by this all, literate and illiterate, socially marginalized, economically disenfranchised by this, all will know you are my people by the way you love each other and you love them. Then they'll know. That's what it'll tell them. Because you can get it straight up here. Now, listen carefully. You can get it straight up here and have it all wrong in here. There were people alive at the time of Christ who had it all right up here, but they had it all wrong down here, and they dogged Jesus to, to His death. They arranged with Judas to betray Him. They had it all right up here, but they had it all wrong down here. By this, The whole world knows that you are My people. You're My disciples. You're My church. If you have love for one another. Less than 24 hours and he'll be dead. Less than 24 hours before his death. You know, when a man is on on his death row, he tends to cut to the chase and speak only of what matters. So the question that begs to be asked is, are we a loving people? Are we a loving people? Or are we, as Mark Twain cynically put it, are we good in the worst sense of the word? You ever, met, ever met people like that? Good in the worst sense of the word. So right and proper in their behavior. So right and proper. But please, Lord, don't let me live next door to them. <laughs> Please, just I'll, I'll live down the street. Good in the worst sense of the word, like the, like the little English girl prayed, Oh, God, make the bad people good and the good people nice. <laughs> nice. Now, this whole world will know you are my people if you have love for one another. Are we a loving people? Are we nice? Or are we good in the worst sense of the word? I want to share a story with you. Philip Yancey told this story in his excuse me, in his stirring book, What's So Amazing About Grace? It's a true story. He heard from a friend of his who's a social worker that works with the Down and Out in Chicago. I had to drive by Chicago to come down here today. All right? So this is his social worker friend speaking now. A prostitute came to meet the social worker friend says. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears she told me she had been renting her daughter two years old to men interested in kinky sex. Yeah, you, you just can't believe it. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in the night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. <clears throat> Philip's friend said, I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to the woman. At last I asked her if she'd ever thought of going to church, to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. Now, Yancey then reflects on this story. What struck me about my friend's story is that women, much like this prostitute, flew toward Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down-and-out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. Yancey asked, what has happened? Brothers and sisters, what has happened? Do we have it right up here, but do we have it wrong in here? You say, how do I... Fortunately, that's not our denomination. I got a letter. I got a letter from uh, someone in a church somewhere in this country outside of my community. Dear Pastor Nelson. About five years ago, another close friend of mine died of AIDS. His name was Jack. He died at the age of 34. Jack was baptized as an Adventist about 15 months before he died, and I knew him mainly from the weekly prayer meetings. Jack was infected with HIV several years prior to his joining the church. He never knew he had HIV until he got pneumonia. He survived the pneumonia, met some neighbors of his who were Adventists, and came into the truth through them. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, she goes on, a few members of the church couldn't accept Jack because he had AIDS. Some stopped going to church and prayer meetings because he was there, and they feared catching AIDS from the air or sitting in the same room as him. My former pastor tried very hard to educate these people, but they didn't want to hear it. When when pastor, she gives his name, spent time in the hospital with Jack every day before he passed away, they would say something like, I hope our pastor won't get AIDS in the hospital and then come back and give it to all of us. How angels must weep, she writes, in heaven for the hardness of hearts even of professed Christians. Now, her last line. Thank the Lord Jack remained faithful until the end and even had a spirit of love and forgiveness toward those members who shunned shunned him. Jack knew how much Jesus loved him and that was enough. I'm not sure that woman is right. I'm not sure that's enough. I'm not sure it's just enough to know, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Apparently, Jesus doesn't feel it's enough either. Jesus says, This is how the whole world will know you are the people, because you have love for one another. As I have loved you, you love each other. Didn't He say that? On the eve of His execution, didn't He say that? He must mean it. He must be serious. By this, the whole world will know you are My people, if you have love for one another. You know what? I I would laugh off these little uh, stories. Well, you know, all these little aberrations. I would laugh them off were it not for the fact I know my own heart. I know my own heart. And I know how easy it is for me to dismiss somebody who doesn't believe like I believe, somebody who takes a little different theological nuance. Well, he doesn't. Poor guy. I know how easy it is for me to have it all right up here, but to walk by people down here and have it all wrong in here. The 11th commandment's for me and you. By this, the whole world will know you're my people because you have love for each other. The word gets out, you can't hide it. Whoa, look at them. By this, the whole world will know you are my people. If you have love for one another. Now, may I ask you just a a bit of an embarrassing question? I have to ask myself this, too. Could it be that in our exuberance to get it right over the fourth commandment? We've neglected the 11th commandment. Could it be that in a generation now... Listen, I have these kids. This generation, I have them. They're young. They're bright. Struggling to carve out meaning in this life. But if you want to talk about the Millennials, that's the generation now that's on the scene in the, in the in 18 to 30. You want to talk about the Millennials? You know what You know what attracts the attention of a millennial? And pretty soon they'll be the boomers are going to be... If Jesus doesn't come soon, boomers are going to be a thing of the past. And I'm a part of it, so... That's why I want Jesus to come. Please, just come. He said, Dwight, you got something to do. You have something to do. That world of mine... I have 7 billion Earth children. I want those children. Go to them. Go to them in My name, teaching them to observe all things, and don't forget to include the 11th commandment when you teach all things." But this generation, you know what? What they're looking for... I'll just tell you the truth. You know this. In fact, you already know this. You got grandkids. You know this. They're looking for authenticity. They're looking for transparency. They say, listen, don't give me this head stuff. Do you, live what you, do you practice what you preach? Do you live it out? That's what they're looking for. I have 3,600 of them. They're at Andrews University. They're struggling as well, just like your kids and grandkids. But there are by, by the millions, secular kids who have no connection. This generation now it's the most godless generation in America that we've ever had. I know it says, in God we trust in our coinage. Every day that goes by, there are less people to trust in Him. In America. You know this, don't you? Of course. What's gonna, what's gonna, what's gonna reach those hearts? By this, all the world will know you are My people if you have love For one another. He said, How do I? That's not how we're going to grow the church. We're going to grow the church doing what we do best here, doing what we do best there at at Andrews. We're just going to send more and more people out. They're going to win souls. Amen, amen, amen. But I have a quotation in my pocket I want to share with you. Written by a a little woman five foot three, about a hundred years ago. She wrote these words. And I don't want to read them to you. A little book called Welfare Ministry, having welfare, caring for the good of our neighbors. Listen to this line. If we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful there would be 100 conversions to the truth where now there is only one don't tell me that Jesus got it wrong just before he died by this the whole world will know you are my people if you have love for one another, kind, tender-hearted, pitiful means full of pity. Full of pity. Desire of Ages. Oh, that guy, I love this. Listen to this. Love a man. This is Desire of Ages, page 641. Love to man is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. It was to impart this love to make us children of one family, that the King of glory became one with us. And when His parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you. When we love the world as He loved it, then for us His mission is accomplished, and we are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? We're fitted for How many want to go to heaven? Come on, come on. How many want to go to heaven? But, of course. You want to be fitted for heaven? Love one another desire of ages says when we love one another, we are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Apparently, Jesus really did mean to speak 31 times about love before He died. Apparently, the 11th commandment is essential for the Ten Commandments to take root. Wow. Wow. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Friday he dies. Thursday night. He invites us. Telephone rang in the Pioneer Memorial Church there on campus. <laughs> My secretary said, Dwight, there is a, a woman on the phone. I don't recognize her voice. Well, oh. She didn't give her name. She didn't want to give her name. Do you want to take the call? I said, Of course, send the call through. So I said, Hello. She said, Hello. Pastor Nelson? I said, Yes. She said, I've been listening on the radio. We have a a radio telecast every Sabbath. She said, I've been listening on the radio. You've been talking about this God who's not somebody to be afraid of, but somebody to be a friend of. I knew... I knew I could call you for help. And the moment she said, help, a voice inside of me said, get ready. (laughs) She's going to ask for Money. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. Just like that. I said, She's going to ask. You watch, Dwight. You watch. She will ask you for money. You better have an answer and you better have it fast. I said, We got the Salvation Army and Ben R. We got United Way. We got the police. Dorcas is closed, so that's no good. I'll find something. She said, I knew I could call you for help. I said, "Uh, Yes. And what would that be? She says, "Well, I need some." And then she said, "Money, I said, I told you I told you she was going to." I'm just getting ready. I'm just getting ready to respond, very politely. When the Holy Spirit comes up and she said, she says, "Listen, listen to this woman." She said... I actually have $1,000 waiting for me in Chicago. But after listening to these teachings about the God that you've been describing, I know I can't go back for that $1,000. And then the story tumbled out. Two little kids resorting to what they call the world's oldest profession to keep food on the table, plying her art in the sullied, sooted doorways of the Windy City. I could go back, but I don't think I should. I said, You are right. Made arrangements with this woman to get the money to her anonymously. I said, You come into the church. There'll be an envelope here. It'll have money in it. And may God be with you. Never met her. Some months later, I'm at the back of the church, front of the church, greeting the worshipers as they're leaving after second service. And a tall woman comes through line, attractive. She says, "Uh, Hi, Pastor Nelson. Do you remember me? I said, No, I don't, actually. Huh? She gave me a name? I'm sorry. Then she just said a few words. I said, oh, I remember you. She said, I hope you don't mind, but the children and I have been coming to worship here these last few uh, Saturdays. I said, bless your heart. You are, <laughs> you are welcome to worship here any you wish. This is your family. The congregation never knew it. But when her face came up out of that baptistry with water glistening on her countenance and a smile of a thousand watts, I knew the truth. If any woman is in Christ, behold, she is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I almost turned that woman away. Too much of a bother for me. I don't have the time for this. You have a Bible question, you want to argue theology, we can talk. i give not money. I almost, I'm embarrassed to tell you, almost turned that woman away. Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, Dwight. This is the only way they're going to know It's not the radio that saves. It's not satellite that saves. I save through people, through warm and loving people. If you will love one another, the whole world will know, the whole world will know, you are my people. Boy, I want to love like Jesus, don't you? Oh, I want to love like Jesus. I bet thruster's right until that prayer gets answered. How could God ever do a new thing anyway? You want to stay near that cross? You want to stay near that cross? Uh, Every night we're going to sing this together, you and me. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. It's 312 if you have your hymnal on your phone. (laughs) Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Stand with me. Stand with me. Let's sing. Let's sing. Those of you watching on television right now, you join us.